Good morning. When I was a kid, my parents would say something that just, just drove me nuts. Just drove me nuts. It was like one thing more than anything else that just drove me nuts. I'm a question asker by nature. I'm just, I'm curious, but not like a cat because cats are the worst. So just curious to like a dog, like a awesome dog. That's how I'm curious. And I, you know, I get, into, I get that there are times where it's like, keep asking questions. It just gets annoying and it gets frustrating. And you know, maybe there's no answer for it. But it drove me nuts when I was a kid when my parents would say, because I said so. Because I said so. Apparently, unbeknownst to me, my parents had some sort of kingdom in the early bronze period where their word was law and whatever they spoke forth became truth in all the land. Like, that's what it felt, right? Like, because I said so. It feels so like, it's, you, you, like, you have to shout that. Because I said so. It just, that doesn't work as well. Because I said so. Uh, and it just, it was so frustrating because it's like, what does that even mean? Because I said so. It, it's, it was a conversation ender. It just was so frustrating to me. I have become that parent. The first time you hear yourself say it, you're like, because I said so, oh my goodness, I'm my dad. Ugh. But there's just times where it's like, I, I, yeah, I, that's all I got. I don't know. I, I, that's, that's it. That's, that's the information I have for you. Because just things aren't always different. Like things are not the same. My, I'm not on the same level as my kids. If I want to eat a cookie before dinner... I pay taxes. I, I pay a mortgage. I work. I'm going to have a cookie before dinner. I have earned that cookie. And so the, the last week when I had a cookie before dinner, my, normally I try not to like be seen by my kids. But they're like, oh, daddy, why are you having a cookie? It's like, oh, I just was going to have a cookie real quick. Oh, uh, before dinner? Yeah, before dinner. How come? Because really wanted one. You know, and then it's like, well, I want one too. Ah, but no, you need to wait till after dinner. Why? I, just, I said so. I don't know. Because it, it's realizing, man, I'm such a hypocrite. Like often it's like, yeah, do what I say, not what I'm currently doing. Because, you know, you're three and I'm much older and so I'm going to have a popsicle. <laughs> but you realize how easy it is to be a hypocrite. Like how easy it is to be hypocritical. Or we just are drawn into that as we often kind of want to create our life the way that we want it and look to justify and give reasons and build around that. I mean, it's so arbitrary for me to say, oh, this is true for me and not you. But sometimes, like, that's how I feel. Jesus speaks to this very idea as we continue our series on the takeaway. He deals with the idea of hypocrisy and what does that look like and what does it mean and how do we approach God? So we're going to dive into this story in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. We pick up in a parable right after the parable Jesus, uh, Jerry talked about last week. Luke 18, chapter, uh, verse 9. You can follow along with me. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, 
cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus sets up a story, sets up this contrast between two very different men. Their jobs, their positions, their social standing, even their religiousness are contrasted here. But what matters most, what the parable focuses on, is their hearts. And what we're going to take away from this is the idea that if we don't look accurately at ourselves, all right, if we don't look at ourselves accurately, we won't see others correctly and we won't experience God fully. If we don't look at ourselves accurately, we won't see others correctly and we won't experience God fully. First, looking at ourselves accurately. When we look at the Pharisee here, Pharisees were religious leaders. It's a position of respect and authority at this time. Think like church person, think like maybe elder, pastor, but this is a very churched, very religious person. And we often see them as bad guys now because we're here looking backwards, but that's not how they were seen by people of their day. They were religious people. They were very devoted to keeping God's law, even going so, so far as to keep every sort of ounce of it. They were very particular about it. They wanted to, to look set apart by how fervently they kept this law. And so here we see this tax collector. He goes to the temple. And we don't know if he's going as part of a, a service or ceremony or he's going just to pray, but he goes to pray and he stands in the courtyard. And that was a normal thing. You'd stand to pray. I mean, that's what people did. And we think based on the parable, he may have positioned himself as close to the Holy of Holies, as close to sort of where the presence of God was so that he could be connected in that moment. And he stood there and he prayed. But what's interesting is we begin to see that he does not have an accurate picture of himself because he starts by praying to God. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. And it quickly goes off the rails because he only mentions God once and then it's about him. And he thanks God that, he, that God has made him not like other people. And that's a really backhanded way to say thank you. Like that's really like a not cool way to say thank you. And then he compares himself with some other people. With people doing bad stuff. And he's like, you know, I'm not like other people like them. Imagine if I stood up here and prayed and said, Dear God, I thank you that I am not like these horrible people sitting in the, pew, in the chairs here. Because they're awful. I mean, we all know it. They're terrible. I thank you that I am different and so much better in every way than them. Amen. Yeah, it's going to get awkward in here. You're going to be like, uh, excuse me? But that's what he's praying. Praying out loud. I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And he's setting himself up to be far better than he actually is. First, he did not have an accurate picture of himself. I mean, to thank God that he's superior to others, it's like, you, dude, you, you went off the rails like four words in. You didn't even last that long. But the same is very true of us, that we often do not have an accurate picture of ourselves. We as humans care very deeply what other people think about us. We may care to varying degrees. Some people may care more than others, but we all care deeply 
what people think. And part of the way that we value ourselves is comparison, is we'll look at others and measure ourselves and what are we better at? Where are we more successful? Where are we more accomplished? And we build into our self-worth through these comparisons. We often don't have an accurate picture about who we are. We badly want to look good. We badly want to feel good about ourselves. We badly want that. And the flip side of that is we don't want to admit the brokenness that we feel. We don't want to admit that we need help or that we may not have it all together. And so we begin to craft a false narrative about our life and we believe in that and buy into it more and more and more. Rather than confront those hard truths about ourselves, we tell ourselves a different story that's a lot easier to buy into. Why do we do that? Well, there's several reasons. One of them is fear. Fear. We don't acknowledge where we struggle. We don't acknowledge those broken areas because we're fearful of what other people will think. We're fearful of others. What, what would, how would their opinion of me change if they knew? If they knew what I struggle with, if they knew the things that, that I wrestle with in my heart, what, peop, what would people think about me? We're so afraid of what people might think that we begin to brick off those parts of our heart, of our lives, and pretend like they're not there. We don't want other people to know those things about us. One of the ways you see that play out is through social media. We put our best foot forward on social media. We are putting our best face on. We want people to see the best moments of our life. I don't see many pictures of someone who woke up with a bad hair day and they've got like a huge infected tooth and a kid threw up all over him and they take, they give one of those selfies like, hey, hashtag great day. You don't see a lot of those. You don't see a lot of those. What we're putting forward is the, is the version of us we want people to see. It's like, oh, Josh likes this and oh, that's cool. And, and oh, things must be great over at their house. It's like, no, things are as crazy at my house as they are at yours. But we color the view that we allow other people to have. Last year, um, Essena O'Neill had a breakthrough, had a moment for her. She's a 19-year-old Australian woman who had over 1 million followers across various social media platforms. She had a huge influence and a huge following. And she quit. She closed her accounts. I mean, she, she was done because she said, it's not real. It's not real life. She got tired of how fake it was and she began to go back through some of her old pictures and put new captions on them. Things that used to say like, hashtag vegan, hashtag beach life. Now said other things. In fact, there was one particular picture where she shared a story that said she made her younger sister cry during this picture because she was so adamant about finding the right one. She made her sister take a hundred pictures till she found one that made her look exactly the way that she wanted to look. It's not real life. We're so afraid of what people will think that we color and we shade and we very carefully control what we put out. We don't want people to know the real us. We're also afraid of ourselves. The fear is not just of others, it's of us because what will we find if we really look closely at our lives? What are we going to find if we really look into the dark parts of our heart? What are we going to find if we slow down and we get quiet and we really look inward? I think we're afraid we're going to find things we don't like. And rather than deal with it and rather than lean into it, we pretend like it's not real. 
Because denial gets easier and easier. We can convince ourselves that it's not a thing. But it's not just fear. It's also this, a misguided sense of self-reliance. We're, we don't want to let people in because we have this, this sense of self-reliance. That it, it's the false sense of control that like, I can do, I got this. Yeah, I got, my life's falling apart, but I got this. I can do this. I, I don't need help. Or maybe for you, it's like, well, I don't want to bother anyone. I mean, everybody has stuff, you know, I, I just don't want to bother anybody. And so I don't share and, and, I, don't, and I don't invite people in. Or, or I say, yeah, I just, I just need to take care of it myself. I just need to do that myself because I want to or because I have to. I just need to take care of it myself. And the problem is none of those things work. It's, none of them are as effective as allowing other people in. None of those things are effective as laying those down before God. None of them are. But we buy into this, these different lies and we believe them as we, we tell ourselves them more and more frequently. And we shut people out of, of areas. We don't want people to know. And it builds this sense of self-righteousness. It builds this sense of hypocrisy that it's like, yeah, I don't need others, but you know, I can do this on my own. How many of you would be the first one to offer help to someone else in need and yet are not willing to ask for help when you need it? That's not okay. But I understand that. I understand that. But it's a way for us to see that contradiction that, man, we are resistant to asking for help, but yet we would do that for others. We would do that for others and not think twice about it. But when it comes to us, it's like, no, 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 I, I, can, I should be able to have this together. I really, I really should. I really should. I love that Jesus says in verse 9, I mean, he just lays it out up front. It says, he, told, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And I'm reading that this week going, goodness, that sounds familiar. It's almost like that's addressed somewhere else in the Bible, only in the exact opposite way. And it is. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Basically, Paul says, I, don't have, I can't be righteous on my own. I can't possibly do that on my own. And so these, these men are so convinced that they can do it by themselves. And yet we see later on, it's not possible. And I think we know that. We, we can't ever be good enough on our own. Righteousness is just this idea of being right with God. And I can't get there on my own. I come with too much baggage. I come with too much stuff. And that's what the, tax, the Pharisee is bringing to this. And you contrast that with the tax collector. Tax collectors are, are social outcasts. They're, they're not welcome in their communities. I mean, they are, they're not included because they've aligned themselves with the, with the invading army and they're collecting taxes from their peers often more than they are supposed to. And that's how they make their salary. These people were not well-liked. These were outsiders. And yet the tax collector, the social outcast is broken. He stands far away from the temple as if he's aware of his own unworthiness. He hits his chest and he won't even look up to the heavens. And that's a picture of humility and shame. He is broken. He is broken. He understands who he is. He's been brought to the point that he realizes, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot. Folks, when we don't see ourselves accurately, it's incredibly easy for us to fall into the trap of hypocrisy and self-righteousness. It really is. 
We need to see ourselves accurately. But we also need to see others correctly. Because when we tell ourselves a false story, it can affect the way we see others. This Pharisee compared himself to others, elevating himself as compared with others. In fact, he says, I thank God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And then he lists some people that have done some bad stuff. He's basically lumping in everyone in the world except him into this group. I mean, that's a pretty big generalization. That's pretty gutsy to be willing to say to God, I thank you that I am not like everyone else you've created ever, that I am so much better. It's like, okay, that is, so you almost have to respect the confidence if it wasn't so horribly misguided. But that's what he's communicating. He's painting everybody else with the same brush except himself. He even lumps in the tax collector. Imagine the audacity of this guy is coming, it's just broken, and the Pharisee's like, thank you that I'm not like this idiot over here because he is just super embarrassing. Like, I think that's funny. Like, I can't believe he'd say, it's like, seriously? Wow. Can you imagine just praying that with somebody next to you? Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like Susie because she is just, you know, the worst. Like, what? that's not cool. That's not cool. But some of us do that. We build ourselves up by comparing ourselves to others. We, we create a false sense of superiority when we compare ourselves to people that we consider worse, people who've done things or struggle in ways that we don't. We, we find people where we can feel better about things. Like nobody's comparing themselves to Mother Teresa going, I am so much better than her. We're looking for people that we can easily, you know, clear that bar. And we use that to build ourselves up. And some of us do the opposite. Some of us beat ourselves down by comparing ourselves to others, focusing on the ways that we're vastly inferior. And what we do, what happens when we do that is we turn life into a meritocracy. It becomes all about deserve. I'm better than them, so I deserve or man, I'm, I'm so much worse. I know I don't deserve. It becomes all about deserve. What I should get out of this. What, what about me, God? What about me? Do, why aren't you doing what I want? I deserve this. That's what we turn life into. When we give in to that self-righteousness, it turns to, to, to judginess. We get judgmental because we begin to consider ourselves superior than others. A couple years ago, Beth, Bethany and I were doing premarital counseling with a couple and we really enjoy doing this. And the whole point of premarital counseling, you're not going to solve everything, but it's like, man, how do we figure out the triggers and, and give you some tools to work through this and talk about expectations and set you up for success? So this couple comes over to our house and we, as we're talking through things, it's like, it's clear they've got some, some stuff. And that's okay because we all have stuff. But as we're talking, I can't help but think in the back of my mind, be like, this is, this is good luck, guys. You got some stuff here. And what I had conveniently forgotten is that a couple hours early, I had gotten into a big fight with my wife about something. And so I'm sitting here judging their relationship, conveniently ignoring the fact that my relationship needs some work at the moment. You know why? Because it's so much easier to do that. I don't want to look at my life and go, man, I got to work on some things. It's so much easier to go, wow, I'm glad I'm not like them. I mean, I may not be perfect, but I am way better than them. So that's fine, right? Because that's all life is, is just slowly beating out the person next to you. It's like a lot of our approach to life is the same approach people have when running away from zombies. Just don't be last. 
But I think the bar is a little bit higher than that. And I'm just confronted at that moment, like, that is me. It is so, it's so easy to fall into that self-righteous attitude and, and consider myself better just because our issues are slightly different. We are quick culturally to pile on the failures of others. And I wonder if that's because in some dark corner of our heart, it makes us feel better about ourselves. I love that the tax collector makes no comparison with anyone. The tax collector knows this is not about me and anyone else. This is about me and God. I want to be right with God. I want to be okay with God. I have sinned against God. I, I, am, I have broken. I cannot fix this on my own. I want to be okay with God. It's just between him and God. There's nobody else involved. He needed to do business with God. His accurate picture of himself allowed him to have a healthy view of others. He didn't need to compare. He knew this was between him and God. And that accurate view of self and correctly seeing others allows us to experience God fully. Luke 18, verse 14 says, I tell you this, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Justify is a legal term. It means declared innocent. Declared innocent. That this tax collector returned home declared innocent before God because Jesus continues, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a powerful image. It says that when we try and craft our own story and, and tell the story that we want to do, it, is it takes a ton of energy and it's exhausting, but it never even works out in the end. And the more we try and exalt ourselves, the less that will happen. But the more we are willing to be honest and open and vulnerable and authentic and say, this is me and this is real and this is what I struggle with. That God meets us in that moment. Here's the reality, folks. My goal is not to make you leave here feeling miserable about yourselves, but until we are willing to see ourselves as broken, then the love of God means nothing to us. It means nothing. A great meal matters most when I am hungry. If I'm not hungry, then eh, I could take it or leave it. We need to understand our need for Jesus because when we do, then his overwhelming love is that much richer. It's that much richer. I love the contrast between these two men. All the Pharisees' efforts got him nothing. The Pharisee listed and depended on all the good that he had done. He was convinced of his own goodness and convinced that that was enough. And so he asked God for nothing. And he got from God nothing. But the tax collector came to God in honesty and in humility. The tax collector knew he was not good enough. And so he cried out to God. He, he pleaded with God for compassion and mercy. And that's exactly what he got. It's exactly what he got. And it leaves us the question, who are we going to be? Who are we going to be? Because I think we are deep down so like the Pharisee. We really are. We are so like the Pharisee. We badly want to believe that we are good. And we badly want to believe that we are better than we are. And so we clothe ourselves with all sorts of things. We clothe ourselves with stuff to cover up the hard things and the pain and those broken moments. We put all that stuff on so that we feel better about how we look and, and the face that we put forward towards others. 
We tell ourselves a story, one that we craft and believe in more and more and more and more. We clean ourselves up so we look good on the outside, so that we look put together, so that people won't know what we're really like. We allow ourselves to believe this lie as we give into it more and more. We cover ourselves with the good that we do. We say things like, well, hey, I give to charity. I, I give to charity. That's good, right? I volunteer. I give my time. I coach my son's little league team. I mean, I mean that's all good stuff, right? Like, th- those are good things. I try and be good. I try and be kind to others. And then we remember what we don't do, right? Well, I mean, I haven't killed anyone. I, I haven't had an affair. I haven't cheated on my taxes. And maybe if you're here and you've done one of those things, that's okay. Your things would be something else because what we do is we seek out those big things that we haven't done so we can celebrate them as, as if the bar was that low. We build our case piece by piece by layering this stuff on more and more and more so that we can eventually hope to ignore the reality that is, that is going on underneath. But no matter how hard we try, it just doesn't look right because it's not who we really are. It's just not. It's not who we are inside. That idealized image, that's not us. We know there's things that we've done. We know that there's brokenness. We know that we have failed. We know we've made mistakes. We know that we've fallen short. We know those things are there. And we try and shove them down into the dark recesses of our soul so we don't have to think about it. But it's those things that keep us up at night, those things that we struggle with. That is who we really are. We are stained by the things that we've done and the mistakes that we've made. And no amount of cleaning, no amount of scrubbing will ever get them off. This is who we are. We can't fix this on our own. All we can do is cry out to God in mercy. All we can do is cry out to God and plead with him for compassion. But folks, when we do that, God hears us. God hears us. We know that he hears us. We know that. God hears us. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God hearing us. Jesus is God stepping into our story. So what happens is we are left with a state that we cannot fix on our own, but Jesus says, I've lived the perfect life you should have lived. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give to you something you don't deserve. I'm gonna give to you something that you have not earned. I'm gonna give you my righteousness. I'm gonna give you my rightness with God. I'm gonna give you my perfection and my wholeness and my fullness. You get that. And we put this on and it covers our stains up forever. They're gone never to be seen again. Because of Jesus, when God looks at us, he does not see those stains. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees his perfection. He sees his wholeness. Jesus modeled that perfectly for us. He did that for us. Jesus humbled himself, surrendering to death on a cross, and God exalted him, raised him to life, and lifted him back up. Knowing that we are accepted and loved and justified is incredibly freeing. It changes the way we view ourselves, and it changes the way we view others. That love changes everything. 
If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what I hope you would take away is to know that those stains we can't scrub off, Jesus says, take this, put on this shirt and be clean and be pure. And we need to hear that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to hear that too because we are quick to say, yeah, that's a good message and other people need to hear that. But we need to hear that too because if we would call ourselves follower of Jesus, what we need to do is put the shirt on every day. We don't put it on once and forget about it. Every day we continually put on that shirt of what Jesus has done. We are continually renewed. We don't look back to a date when that happened in the past. We experience that renewal every day. Or we can if we're willing to. I love this contrast. I love that the Pharisee thinks he has earned for himself righteousness. The tax collector knows that he has earned judgment. And yet Jesus flips that and said, no, it's those who come humble. It's those who come open. It's so easy for us as people to be hypocritical and self-righteous. And it's easy for us as Christians. And folks, it's easy for me too. It's hard. This is not something that I get to preach on because I have mastered this. This is something I get to preach on because I feel the realness and the rawness of this every day that I am so drawn into that. And I don't want to live there, but we do not have to. We don't have to. I wrestle with that. I love being a pastor. It's one of the great joys of my life, but I worry. What, what would people think if they really knew me? And my problems come when I give in to that fear instead of living in the freedom that says, I am not defined by what I have done. I am defined by Jesus. That's how God sees me. I can live in that victory. Folks, where are you self-righteous? What's one area of your life where you are struggling with, with self-righteousness? What's one area of your life that you've created your own story to cover and to hide the ugly parts you don't want to see? What's one area of your life? What would it look like for you to allow Jesus to enter into that? What would it look like for you? Jesus tells us here that we don't have to build our own case. We don't have to list off why we should be good. Because of Jesus, we are justified before God. We are declared innocent, and that freedom is ours. And that freedom is incredible. Living in that freedom means we can give up the lie because God already knows the truth and he loves us anyway. Folks, hope is found in the reality that when our soul is laid bare before God, we are not driven further from him. Instead, we are drawn closer into his loving embrace. 